Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Redding, but my friends call me Spanners, so let's be friends, especially as it's Christmas. And my gift to you this Christmas was going to be a magazine show made up of several different segments. But this particular interview with Alex Brundle was so informative, entertaining and generous from Alex that we decided to make it a standalone episode so we'll get those other segments to you early in the new year Uh, but Alex shared loads of stuff about the F1 feeder series F2 F3 and a little bit about karting as well and it's a fascinating insight into what drivers have to do to get themselves up the F1 ladder so I'm going to play that for you right now after I remind you that we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. Here's that segment right now. Hi guys, Spanners here, and we are going to be talking about the Junior Series today, and I'm I'm joined by Matt Trumpets. He's here, just in case you thought that he'd disappeared. Hello, Matt. Hi there. Looking forward to it. Now, I think you and I, we might have to confess that at this point in our our careers, the sim racing and the karting isn't going to be enough to launch us into Formula One, sadly. Yeah, I after several rounds at Buckmore, I have to admit that I am thoroughly mediocre and nothing I do will make me fast enough for Formula One. I, I stay awake at night dreaming of being mediocre. So obviously... We have to look to the next generation. I assume at some point I will uh, catch the next NFT or Bitcoin wave or simply win the Euro millions. And then I can get my uh, young lads or my young lady into karting and Formula One and they can they can carry the mantle and be the Formula One champion. I definitely would have been had I been a billionaire. 
Yes. Well, money solves many problems yes. in motorsports. I, I've heard thing. that money yeah. can be exchanged for goods and services. And we want to know just how far money can get you and talent can get you in the junior series. But we have absolutely no experience at all in, in watching, really, Matt. Something we've wanted to do for ages was have a missed apex feeder series. But it's actually hard to find enough people that are knowledgeable about it to get that kind of project up and going. Yeah, it, there's actually because there's so many of them and because people come and go so quickly, it, it's 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 quite an undertaking to stay firmly on top of it and know who's coming up and who's headed out. So what we really need is someone who has driven in a lot of the tiers of the junior series and commentated on F1 TV. And luckily, uh, we have broadcasting superstar and Le Mans podium winner Alex Brundle joining us. Hello, Alex. Hello, gang. How are you? Good to see you, as always. Thanks for slumming it in the sheds. Uh, we're always surprised when people come from like the top commentary booths in the world and in the world stage to then come and sit with us in our shed. Uh, it's appreciated. Well, it's, my, it's, it's only my kitchen, guys. I mean, it's, oh, right, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's only my kitchen. It's, it's always a pleasure to talk to you guys um, about all topics, Formula One, feeder series and otherwise. Mm. Well, there are dozens of people listening, so don't get too comfortable. Uh, but the question really that I wanted, to, I, I wanted to set this off from came from your TikTok channel because you're still considering yourself young and dynamic and, and you've set yourself up a TikTok with short bite-sized explainers. They're very good. Thank you. Yeah, I, I had no idea what to do on TikTok. Um, so I just sort of, um, I would just continue responding to questions people uh. were asking me about racing. And then the questions sort of led to more questions. And so I answered those questions, which led to more questions. And that's how we ended up with a, with a feed full of answers. Uh, but I'm very much enjoying it. And this particular one about the feeder series uh, was, a, I think, specifically about F2 and F3. And OK, so when I've argued with people in the past, oh, I don't like such and such a driver. I don't think they're very good. And they've gone, yeah, but they won F2, F3. And that's a spec series. So I'm wondering what that really, in effect, means, because there are spec series and then there are our spec series. In my head, is every driver always driving mechanically the same car with the same opportunity? And is that too simple a question? It's worth saying that spec series are how the majority of motorsport happens these days. There are more spec series out there than none, especially in terms of single seaters. You know, even IndyCar is a spec uh, single seater series. But um, it, it basically means you're dealing with exactly the same mechanical parts right. as they're put together by the chassis manufacturer, often Delara, so often Delara in the world of, of feeder series. Uh, and um, those parts can only be built in a certain way, but there are still avenues for teams to do a better job than other teams. Indeed, that is the entire point of a team. That's what their function is. Uh, there would be no point in preparing these cars or having these teams if they couldn't outperform each other. That's that's the idea of them. Ah, okay. But you get something like W Series, where I think do they? That's much more like out of the door. The cars are all prepared by the same people, and then the drivers get in more or less. But with something like F two and F three, do they just get like Amazon deliveries of parts? And the teams can still do things with their bundle of, of, of Christmas presents. 
Well, W Series is interesting because it used to be centrally operated, much yeah. in the way MSV was. Um, MSV Formula Two was operated back when I did it, or Formula Palmer Audi. They then moved to more of the traditional system, team based, where the teams took those parts uh, and built them up. I mean, uh, the idea with those centrally operated series is that you uh, you get exactly the same build of car and you uh, basically are just in control of the setup elements of it. You're still, though, realistically reliant on the exact individuals that build those cars. But even when you go down to a local kart track and in there, they have always the best intentions for kart parity. You're, you get such a wide variance, even over just a, a 50 second lap, you'll get a cart that's half a second above another one. And you, and you see as you go up the hill, you, you see someone and you go, have I gained weight? Or is that, why is that car flying past me so, so easily? But you see people pulling away on the straights. And, and I think like those top cart tracks in the country with their rental carts, they make a real concerted effort to have cart parity. And it's very difficult to do. So even with the best intentions, you're always going to come up with a car that, that will have a, a slight advantage somewhere. Yeah, I mean, do do yourself a favor next time you're you're down the car track, and ask the guy or girl who's running those uh, yeah. who's running those machines which are the good ones and which are the <laughs> bad ones. And without fail, they'll go six, seven, and twelve are faster. Make sure you don't get in twenty-one yeah. or twenty-six. Uh, and the reason for that, I mean, you know, I've dealt. Uh, throughout my career with with handmade prototypes of world endurance championship level um they put those on a flat plate they measure all of the angles of those cars and they come up slightly different of course yeah. th- these things are bespoke they're handmade uh, and so uh each race car is its own is its own living entity uh, and you need to be on top of it as a team. Even two cars across the garage sometimes need a little bit of something different. Yeah, and so if you're in something like like W Series and they don't rotate the cars, I don't know whether they, they did or not. I mean, that could make or break a, a career just happening to get like a chassis that's bent, for for example, that you can't quite detect. Yeah, certainly. I mean, the b- bending carbon fiber is a tough one. You tend to snap it, but the, but the, um, but yeah, I, mm. I totally take your point. Um, you know, rebonded, refabricated chassis, you're always working with the physical limitations. It must be said though, in the world of carbon fiber racing cars, I would say difficulties with the chassis, difficulties with the equipment are used as an excuse for non-performance way more than they are actually in realistic terms, the reason oh, for that performance. Yeah, and look, we're always going to be uh, cautious with you as your as a professional within within the FIA and as a, an F1 TV commentator to not name individuals, but I can. Mazepin, didn't he make a big deal about, oh, we've got a cracked chassis, and then they've made them swap the chassis. And there's numerous examples of that, uh, but I, I, don't, I can't remember it making, making a difference. But like a cracked chassis can maybe psychologically get in a driver's head as well of it's got to be something it can't be me yeah it's and and the problem with that is you get down this rabbit hole of 
of finding the root cause of the problem. Um, there are good ways to deal with that and there are bad ways to deal with that. Some drivers can deal with that kind of thing very constructively. Um, other drivers get into the blame game where you, you know, they're, they're telling you that you're not performing. You're telling them that there's a problem. There's a definitely a right way and a wrong way. And it's all part of the skill of being a racing driver is having a, a calm and rational head to isolate what is truly the issue and try to push down that route and acknowledge sometimes when in fact the issue lies with you, uh, which it so often does. You are the most fallible entity uh, always within the machine you race. Uh, one of the things that I actually really would like to ask you about, um, since we're talking about F2, let's just start there. Uh, but uh, isn't that, replacing the chassis that's sort of like well the driver is feeling something our engineers can't identify anything other than uh you know like telemetry problems like wheel spin or something like that but we can't find anything wrong with the car we tried every setup available the issue is still there so after four or five races let's just give them a new chassis and see what happens whether it's psychological or whether they actually find a crack is almost irrelevant at that point Yes, uh, to, to, a, to a point, I agree. I mean, so much of the time with these issues, you'll, you will get a, a driver complaining, for example, that the balance doesn't feel bad. There's nothing specifically and overbearingly wrong with the way the car feels. They just don't have the speed or the pace. Um, and at that moment, the only limiting factor well, there, there are two limiting factors to giving them more resources. One of them is regulation, whether the regulations actually actually allow you to switch that chassis over. And the other one is cost. You know, yeah. uh, you know, the, 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 everything has to fall within the budget. And if a team don't believe that it'll, it's actually going to benefit their performance and the driver's performance to switch that chassis over, then they won't. Um, it, sometimes. In my experience, by the time you look at changing chassis over, so much time has passed and so much isolation of the issue has been done. Really, the ship has sailed. You don't have enough time in 2022 motorsport to get to that point and still get a good result uh, by the end of the season. So it's like a really expensive placebo, like a really expensive kiss on the magic kiss on the knee. That solves everything. It's more extremely sad and expensive game of Cluedo, realistically. <laughs> you just keep on going down avenues while opportunities pass you by. And I think every driver who's raced over, you know, I, I've been in positions where the car's been absolutely fantastic and whatever it is between me and the car has gelled absolutely and we've romped off into the distance and won races and it's been brilliant and then of course you firmly believe it's all you and <laughs> and you're just doing a tremendous job and have to be don't have to remember if not reminded that there are a group of people behind you making that happen <laughs> i've also been in the position where you're running this grand and sad science experiment to try to find what's wrong while opportunities for achievement routinely pass you by day after day, race after race. Right. Before we leave uh, Formula 2 behind for a moment, I wanted to ask, in Formula 1, we have budget limitations now. Do those exist in Formula 2? They don't exist in terms of the the... Uh, you know, a hard budget limitation that the cars yeah. have a sale price, which is mandated. Um, but the 
they don't they're not limited on the amount of money they can spend on that product oh. what they're limited on is the, the amount of things you can reasonably buy i mean you have to buy all of the you have to buy all of the products from delara to to operate the car you mm. have to uh, take the engine lease from mechachrome um you know you, you can't develop those parts the only thing you can do is measure them within an inch of their life to make sure they're all in the right place uh, and work on them with extremely fine tolerances to make sure they're absolutely nailed in terms of setup and spend but you're limited on the amount of people you can bring uh, to an that event was my you, next question you can't yeah. find a you can't find an advantage there so actually realistically you're limited a by the amount of things you can realistically buy and b by the amount of money that drivers will actually have to spend yeah, and so look, this is getting to the heart of of why I wanted to talk to you about this, and we I'll definitely I'll leave names out of it, but basically I always have an argument with oh I don't think such and such um, should drive for that team uh, because I don't think they're as good or, or at that very elite level, and then you go ah but they won F two they won F three and F three is a spec series as, as we started the, the segment off with before so without trying to kind of demean or uh, or put down anybody's specific achievements I am just genuinely curious about where you can gain that advantage and obviously the first one we've talked about there no budget cap so you can have unlimited catering so you can have a very happy you can you can raise morale um but yeah i'm assuming you can throw uh, more labor hours at the preparation before you get to a, a racetrack so there's other advantages like that um but there are reputations where you know our teams have reputations within the feeder series as being premium teams and presumably charge more for their drivers. So so where can they find an edge in the feeder series? So uh, I'm going to use a specific example because oh, it okay. will it will it will it will explain it conceptually. So uh let's say you have a certain rake angle uh which is more plain more efficient than than the other rake angles. Rake being the difference between the ride height at the front of the car and the rear of the car. Okay. Okay. Oh, so so like if you could just go to the racing god and go, can you just settle this for us? What's the correct rake angle? And, Exa- yeah. Exactly yeah. that. Exactly that. There'll be there will be a whole list of other factors around that rake angle in order to get the car to that rake angle, because of course it's having downforce put on it, it's bumping around on the track, it's going through the corners. So getting it to that perfect rake angle is is an enterprise in itself if i can throw a uh, hundred hours of cfd at modeling that car um and making sure that i understand exactly yeah. how to get it there versus a team who can only afford to throw 10 hours with a lesser simulation tool at it my car will simply be faster there is there is it's not going to have more understeer. It's not going to have less understeer. It's not going to have less oversteer. It's not going to have less power. Not going to have less weight. It will just go faster. And this is a real example of something that is happening today in a in a junior series, or has happened in the last like last decade. It's really the fundamental example. Understanding wow. okay. these cars in terms of their in terms of their aerodynamics, because the the teams are supplied with aero mapping from yeah. the uh, from the manufacturer. But validating that a lot of that's on an offset where the basically so that another manufacturer can't copy their cars um, is on an offset. So, mm. you know, one will be three, you know, two, two will be five and uh, and so on and so forth. Um, so taking the taking that car, modeling it absolutely. And the teams in many ways understand the cars better than the manufacturers do. 
uh, in order to get performance out of them. So that is that is realistically how you do it. Okay, look, almost str- straight away, I've, I've got to the, the answer I wanted, which is there are things you can do. It is still a team game. So a driver might find themselves in a better position than another driver. Let, let's let's make it about Alex Brundle. I don't know what your childhood was like, but for me, I had to I had to play games with with like Spanners One and Spanners Two and take turns. <laughs> so oh, I'm doing stripes now. Oh, I missed. Now I'm doing now I'm doing spots. So um, uh, Alex One versus Alex Two. What sort of time difference in a, a good or bad rake are we talking about? Ballpark. Ah, I mean, case by case, circuit by circuit. Um, For example, depends on most of most of the differences between a a good car aerodynamically and a bad car aerodynamically uh, belong to a a box, which I would call sensitivity to efficiency, which means so if you think about Spa Francorchamps, for example, is is the optimum sensitivity to efficiency. How much downforce am I making versus how much drag is it producing? Um, Spa, because it has long straights and fast corners, is the ultimate sensitivity to efficiency. Somewhere like Interlagos, because it doesn't have right. is less. So it it depends on circuit by circuit. So so Interlagos you can you can bolt more downforce on and there's less penalty because you've got short straights. Whereas is that right? So yeah. Exactly. So, but so the difference between a good car and a bad car it, or, or a good car and a less good car because they're all pretty on it. Yeah. It is is less. For example, uh at Monza uh, you'll see cars that are able to ditch drag uh, and drivers that are able to drive through slow corners catch up with teams who have very good sensitivity to efficiency based around their ride height and rake setup. At Spa, they'll get nowhere near them. Amazing. That's really good insight. Matt? Well, I think I understood it I just want to bring up um, that uh, would this also include uh, simulating setups? So the teams are are ready to go out of the box because I know in Formula One that has become a very big differentiator in performance. Teams that can show up having run thousands of setup combinations and know Friday morning when they walk out the door, they have the three or four they think are going to be best for the weekend. Yes, so so most teams will run. I mean, the most prevalent one is called Canopy, um, where they will run exactly that. So they'll have a model of the car, they have a model of the circuit. This model doesn't exist there's no there's no driver driving it i'm not talking about a simulation in terms of you know i'm right. sitting in a simulator you have a you have an ai driver and it's happening conceptually in the same way that sort of a wall street analyst might uh, might simulate all of the different ways the market might go hang on, hang on. this is do- news there's an there's an ai driver they use for the simulations a Correct. little bit of the magic just went the, the, I want to know who the robot driver is. We want to give it a name, I think. Well, so, so they can set that AI driver up to extract a certain percentage of the performance. Um, so uh, they work with that. Then they will run that simulation 2,000 times. Uh, the simulation will kick out a starting setup and then two or three different options. So, uh, again, uh, one of the reasons why you see teams improve and improve and improve with time in a series and improve and improve and improve with driver feedback is they'll be slowly building in their simulation software their appropriate simulation of the car in reality. The closer you get the simulation of the car in reality to the reality on track, the better your starting point is when you arrive okay i want to see a race map between the ai drivers now from all the different teams 
That's that's what we, that's off season sorted. Oh my goodness! Forget you your go. sprint I, weekend AI races. I admit to being disappointed you didn't point out that the best setup extracts the most from the tires, and the tires being right gives you the most lap time out of anything you can do. But it brings me to my real point, which is as a driver, when you arrive to F three or F two, what aspect for you is most important? Is it is it the amount of seat time? Like, I mean, I remember when uh, Stroll went to Williams, he spent half a year driving old Formula One cars. I mean, yeah. Piastri has done this too. Is it seat time? Is it the race engineer at the best teams that's going to make the biggest difference for for you? Is it just the equipment they have, like like the simulations and stuff like that? What matters most to the driver when they arrive at that level? Uh, good shout. I mean, I think it's it's worth pointing out at this stage we talked a lot about the differentiation between the car that talent is still a thing you know drivers can drivers who can drive when they arrive tend to win stuff that that is that is that is a real thing that really happens it's not all just out there in the ether but for the for the driver arriving a little bit of everything's important i mean drivers moving through the series so young that actually if you get a lot of seat time packed into a short period of time, that helps you massively. And then they arrive in these series. If the team have a good setup and a mm. good engineering background, you hit the ground running, you end up at the front, you gain confidence. And then that moves these young drivers uh, through with the confidence that they can fight the front and the confidence that they can win, which naturally makes them drive better. Uh, my engineer, when I tested for ART in GP3, made a very interesting comment um, that for every tenth the car is behind, the driver will add two in lack of confidence. Uh, and so, in yeah. fact, in attempting to wrangle a car, which is not quite there and the desperation remember all of these young drivers are under pressure it's a lot of money moving through there there are they're gaining a lot of support from somewhere be it, be, it, be it their parents or their sponsors or so on uh in understanding uh that they're under pressure you realize that in trying to wrangle a car like that that's not quite on the pace they actually add negative performance yes and if I implied in any way that it was uh, all down to the car, um, I apologize for that. But say, for example, in Formula One is billed as we know it's about the team that you're in and it's a career game and you're trying to f- work your way up to the best team. Like Leclerc quickly went to Ferrari. So he's ahead of science who kind of took a bit of a, a detour around the midfield as well. But F2 and F3 are always billed as it's a spec series. And that's kind of all that we say. So in our head, we think that means that there aren't those kind of, um, you know, it's not maybe a team game. Whereas I think what we're getting to here is very much a team game. And the point you made in your TikTok that was most interesting was that the mechanics at these teams are also career people trying to progress. Yeah, they are. And they are, you know, you, you'll have have a team like Carlin uh, whereby, you know, will actually market their, you know, from from a recruitment perspective, will market themselves as a route into Formula One. Uh, you know, dr- uh, mechanics there know that they're in that paddock and that when uh, someone in Formula One is looking for somebody who's going to be good with the right attitude and so on, they will search in closest proximity. And so uh, these mechanics are moving through. They're seeking to do a good job. Uh, and these teams are in constant communication with Formula One teams uh, for, for engineers, mechanics and so on. Yeah. And so uh, you were mentioning before the show that actually the progression can be very quick 
for these guys? Extremely quick, extremely quick. I mean, I know I've had multiple uh, experiences throughout my career, especially when I was at a junior level where actually um, your mechanic in, in a very you know regional single seater series suddenly arrives in formula one within two years um and uh, and that's great you know i think i think that's that's awesome that those people get the opportunity to do that but what it does mean is those series need to allow a little bit of scope for these you know for the build of the car which which there always will be that there's the reality of, yeah. of racing um to, to make a difference and for it to allow these people to demonstrate their their ability and skill so so in, if you were if you this is back to the budget thing. If you've got more of a budget in general, well, then you can get your basically the first draft of the good engineers and good mechanics from the series below. So, yeah, that's just another way you can leverage to make your team more attractive. Quite, quite so. And and so much of spec racing is dominated by quality of workmanship um, because actually you arrive at the point where there are there are very small tolerances um in car build between what is good and what is bad or what is good and what is you know suboptimal and actually you're relying as much on your mechanics able to being able to do this uh as your engineers being able to know about it so i came at this from kind of i'll admit from a negative point of view because i was having various debates and arguments with people so it's easy to use this to knock down certain people's junior series titles but i guess you could also look at it as let's look at some of the guys in the more midfield or or lower budget teams and go well maybe they're actually doing a better job than it appears as well so you could make that into a positive as well i mean i think it's the nature of any sport honestly Uh, every football player um you know joins a sequence of teams as they move through the the regional ranks and potentially you know up, up into the to the premier league so you know who they were playing with, uh, whether they got the service they needed. I'm not. I'm not a football aficionado. But you, <laughs> no, but keep you, trying. It's fun get, to watch. You get. You get me while I stumble. You understand yes. what I'm saying conceptually. Yeah. That you know that's the nature of sport. I don't. I don't think we can complain vehemently about the realities of sport. Yeah. So I guess you're bringing up a situation where you could be in one of the back of the field teams and maybe finish third in the championship and garner more attention. Yeah. Like if you're taking the economy route, I I don't have the money to go to the top teams. Um, But it also seems like this is kind of an issue for Formula 2 in the sense that there are drivers who are clearly good enough to be in Formula 2 but also clearly never going to be good enough, or at least at that moment in time, to progress to Formula One. But because they have money, and because money is a performance differentiator in the series, they stick around. And is that a problem for uh, for F2 in a sense that they want to be promoting the younger drivers and getting the best? Because that's less seats available for people coming up. I mean, the reduction in cost of the of the primary feeder series is is you know it's paramount. Everybody, I think everybody agrees that to open that uh, level of motorsport to to the highest number of people. Um, I think that 
the reality of the scenario is that you're dealing with a, a pinnacle, a pinnacle scenario. Yeah. So those first few teams, anybody who's serious about moving through to Formula One or serious about winning a, a Formula Two championship uh, needs to be in a car that's capable of that. I think without those second, third, fourth year drivers uh, continuing on uh, in that age group, there are teams that wouldn't be able to fill their seats. Ah, um, and and actually what those drivers are doing, and I think Bruno Michel said something very similar um, on the uh, on the F2 website a few weeks back, what those drivers do play the role of is 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 a benchmark of the quality of each individual year of the series. So, you know, drivers like Ralph Boschong, Nisani, who've been around, you see their, their track record of results as they've been in the series for multiple years, show you how good or not the current year of, of, of races is. So actually they are really performing a role in my view. A benchmark. Yeah. Right. That's look, look. That's the reality of New York life, Matt. If you can't I'm gonna be bothered, walk down there with a golf club if, and end this person. You, they honked through Alex's entire last answer nonstop, just on the horn. Well, and look, I'm so over I didn't it. Hear it. And I'd like to apologize to the listeners because I can't be bothered to edit this particular part out. <laughs> just, so just know that Matt doesn't care about you enough to move out into the countryside. It's a conversation we've had many, many times. But angry right. New Yorkers aside, Matt, where are we going? What I wanted to know is what what do you do if you get to Formula Two and you have you have say you believe in yourself, but you're on the economy route and you get there and you just don't quite have the budget to be in a team to get yourself noticed in a way that will promote you? Where like sort of at each level, like what's the is there like a, a side load? Is is there an alternate route? I mean, we saw Nick DeVries get his chance after going through a bunch of different series, where would you go if you weren't in F2 to still like, I mean, it used to be like DTM, I think used to be popular, mm. but is there something like that now? That's my question. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides health protector guard, fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. 
you can make it work. Yeah, the guy I would cite is is our most recent champion, Felipe Drogovic, for MP. You know, when you look at the dominance of Prema over the previous few seasons, and then MP suddenly rise to the front, he, he's managed to work with that team uh, and make it happen. That's over. A, that's over. You know, a number of seasons of of the championship, though, and and uh, and gaining an understanding of the car. You can aim to try to outperform whatever car you're in in a very similar way uh to the way Enzo Fittipaldi has uh throughout throughout this season um or yeah you can try you can try a tra- tangential route in the same way that 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 Nick DeVries has i think the reality of the scenario is if you are a driver without the funding to continue uh into formula 2 by the time you arrive there uh, unless you're going to put in an extremely special performance you need to be uh, already connected into an F1 academy who are paying the bills um, I think the magic happens before that. Is it? Uh, quite honestly, ideally in karting, re- realistically at the moment. Um, really? But barring so, that, you're going a, you're taking a dog leg somewhere. Yeah. Oh, see, in karting, this is what I wonder because like, there's lots of stories about you know young drivers uh, having to like run engines in for say like Nico Rosberg or Lewis Hamilton. So you're kind of you're there on the kart circuit. You have got dreams of going. Oh, well, I could I could be up there. I know I'm brilliant. But really, everybody knows who is the Nico Rosberg and who is the Hamilton once you get to the kind of FIA karting level. Yeah, I mean, karting is its, its own thing and has its own uh, set of, of of conditions for victory as well. So um, it's a case of getting your head around it as quickly as possible. Um, it, it's a magically pressurising, incredibly pressurising thing. Oh, I bet. Uh, to, to say to a, an eight or a 10 year old, look, you know, if you don't win these kart races, your formula one dream is over already before you've actually even left Wilton mill or whatever your, mm. you know, regional kart track is wherever you are in the world. Um, and I don't think it should be like that. Uh, I, I'm not old, you know, I'm not saying it should be like that. I just, I just think that that's the way it is so at the moment. Were, were you that guy though? Uh, was everybody looking across like as you got into your car and everyone's like, "Dad, we know, we know that's Alex. He, he's on his way up to the up to the race cars." We did. We actually did karting at a very, you know, budget level uh, at that point. Um, we we really in in compare in comparison to others, purely mostly because um, my schooling was was a was a dominant factor and my mum won a lot of arguments um, <laughs> with, with regards to with regards to schooling um, i mean i went through to sort of university yeah. and and so on and so forth um we did about 12 race weekends a year where the staple was you know 35 40 so oh wow um but no i think there's just a whole lot of kids in a whole lot of carts yeah. and uh, and it, and it, and it's a mess how those organizations discern uh which drivers they will take is based on scouting and, and hearsay and, and and continued evaluation of the marketplace and that's that's a professional job in itself um so yeah um if i knew if i knew how to get into a formula one academy from eight years old mm. i think i would have been in one even at the time you were trying to come through karting already f1 teams and academies were scouting at that at that karting level yeah i wow. mean uh, uh, with mclaren were, were active at that level and indeed you know 
organizations like the Racing Steps Foundation that brought mm. drivers like Oliver Turvey and Oliver Rowland through uh, were were scouting at a karting level. Um, so drivers are picked up extremely young. Yes. Okay. So I you know, and I'm getting personal and, and being nosy, and now I know about you know the the spousal disputes in your household, which is which is incredibly intrusive. Uh, but at what point, as a as a young carter, not necessarily yourself, but maybe someone who doesn't end up going to carts, do you realize? Hang on, you look around and you go. There's there's no option left. There's no option left for me now. It's all been decided. I think I don't. I think you've, there's there's a point, and it's something where uh, when drivers, um, uh, there are a couple of drivers who share who are younger than me who share uh, sponsorship partners, for example, or or share spaces, be they, be they the mm. BRDC or whatever, um, who in their great misguided in the, through 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 a misguided a misguided seek of uh, of information have decided to ask me advice which is uh, yeah not <laughs> not not an advisable position to take but and i and i find myself at a crossroads where i i have to ask them uh you know what is what is your funding situation and be really honest with them about what the reality is because Every driver in that scenario needs that down-to-earth person with a foot on the ground to mm. just say, you know, let's get real here. Who is supporting Who is supporting this? Who is backing you up? Okay, you might be better now connecting yourself in to a uh, original equipment manufacturer or a, a manufacturer for, for, for sports cars right. and, and taking right. off down that route and having a great career uh, doing that uh, rather than pursuing a dream. But in the end you know careers turn around and 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 magic things happen on the racetrack and you get the right car and the right engineer for a year and take off to IndyCar or Formula 1 so who am I to judge well and this brings up uh to me two things from the driver's perspective cuz you've climbed this ladder to a certain extent at what cuz when i look at it from the outside i'm like okay karting FIA karting F4 F3 F2 it all seems like a step change. So what I'm curious about from a driver's point of view is, is there a point where you go from one series to the next where that change in terms of competition isn't a step change? It's like exponential. You show up and you're like, whoa. And the same thing with the equipment. Is there a point at which you climb into one of the cars and you're just like, ah, oh, this has done my head in. I was not prepared for the violence of this change. <laughs> and, and like, where is that on the ladder? Yeah, F three level is where that happens. So you, it's it's F three level is is the step change. You're because most of those, you know, F four or Formula Ford series are are quite regional. So you end up you end up racing against a subsection of the marketplace, um, and and also you know they're they're pretty instant access. There are a lot of uh, people in those series who've cobbled together an amount that that can just about reach. Uh, to 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 reach that level and are running things uh, on a bit of a shoestring. So you know if you've got a a reasonable uh, amount of 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 backing by hook or by crook and a reasonable amount of talent by hook or by crook, you you can make your way through that level. Uh, then you hit F three level, and the step change is that the cars are pulling proper downforce and have proper proper G. Um, everybody who arrives at that level is raising an amount of budget where either their family believe in them sometimes incorrectly, but often correctly, or, 
uh, or someone names. <laughs> yeah, or, or so- someone yeah. thinks that that driver is capable of making it to the top of single seater racing. Um, you know, enough to put a life by any stretch, a life changing mm. amount of finance on the line on an annual basis is, is, to, to, to achieve that. And, and is that the financial step as well at F3 level? Is that where it really steps up? Yeah, and I think, yes, it is. Yes, yeah. it is. Because all of a sudden, you start, the, the big costs for race teams are, are, are engine supply, uh, personnel, and transport. Those are, the, those are the big costs because you start flying people around the world. Most of those F3, uh, most of those F3 oh, yeah. series... Yeah. Are, are suddenly world or, or at least European, um, you you start having more complex and powerful engines which come on leases, which are then, <laughs> uh, you know, which are then more and more expensive and you need more people to run them. So that's where the big step change in. And with that comes, because everybody who's arrived on that grid has thought it through <laughs> you know what i mean there's no there's no one there Accidentally. there's no one there who is not got a skin in the game big time what? and that's and that's when uh, do, you, do you remember i don't know if any, when um, many of your viewers and listeners will remember moving from primary school sport <laughs> and then for, and then their first rugby match or football match or cocky match or whatever the sport cricket match or whatever the sport was they played in their secondary school and all of a sudden the ball is moving in fast forward that's what it feels like no no i I remember our our local village team at 16 qualified for like a multi-county you know tournament and then we ended up you're playing in london against some of the london teams and the pace of the ball the way it moved through the air we got absolutely skittled and demolished in our second game i uh, i won the toss as captain bit of a flex there uh, and I opted to bat first because I knew that we were so out of our our league that I thought we could have an early lunch because we'd all get uh, bowled out very quickly uh, and then we <laughs> could go home and get back and uh, and go and go to a party um for which I I confessed to and I got disciplined by the governing body but that that's an aside <laughs> that's an aside um th- I, I like the point that you made about the fact that you know anyone who's there in F3 by that point, if they're not funded specifically by their parents, I mean, they really mean it. And you forget about the amount of belief someone has to put into a driver at that point. And it's already like a 10, 15 year journey. I think the example, if you go back to like the nineties and Damon Hill basically riding on bikes and and not doing carts and stepping into cars after 30, I'm guessing that's, that died quite a long time ago. You, yeah, if you're if you're looking at a Formula One career now, I mean, anything's possible, but uh, it wouldn't be the direct advice. <laughs> you know, you you look at it's a it's a low percentage option, isn't it? If you're yeah. looking at a real a real Formula One career, seriously. Okay, so 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 forty two uh, podcaster probably not going to jink now into into F three. You believe? Honestly, I believe in you. Actually, I, did I, think, have a... I think you should. Uh, so, I think you should write to Helmut Marco tomorrow. So very uh, serious question here. Say 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 that I'm you look at me sim racing and you have seen me sim racing. I'm a bit better than when you had me in that GT big, sim yep. uh, a, a little while ago. Um, but let's say I'm I'm confident and I can operate a a car uh, in a sim. Obviously, I'm a few seconds off. What is that first level in that ladder where I jump into it and and the physical violence of it would would be a real test and let's assume that i'm i'm reasonably strong i'm reasonably capable where, where does your average office bod start to struggle 
so so you're you're asking me the point where on the single seater ladder where yeah. you would jump in a car and and basically be overwhelmed yeah exactly overwhelmed by it i can't even operate I mean, the vehicle you know you know like say so, so obviously i'm not going to be as fast as someone on the sim but i can operate the vehicle i can operate the sim you know i, I think the 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 ferrari for example would have their course of cliente program where you know just people who with the means can do it to do it can buy a ferrari formula one car be taught to drive it over a day or two days or three days building up to it oh. and 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 drive it around a circuit i mean i think the 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 it's a it's a misunderstanding that racing cars in themselves are difficult to drive some historic ones are um but but modern race cars are 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 easy to drive that's the point of them once you've got over the sort of foibles of them you know the the weird stuff that race cars do um but that's a relatively simple you've just got to understand that this one does that and that one does this um what would blow the i believe the modern and we're not very good at this in racing because we're very uh macho about it and we're very dismissive about it and we we reduce the reality of how tough it is i think that many many people feel that they could jump in a a modern single-seater car and be sort of you know if you ask somebody in the street where do you think you'd be in formula three this year uh, i think many many people would go i don't know i could probably make it into sort of the top half top three yeah top three top four seconds off the back that's where i'd be (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I think I think that it's our fault in motorsport for belittling that challenge because there's nobody really to stand there and say, guys, it's actually quite hard because <laughs> so on and so forth. Um, so I think that that's what would blow you away is is how fast you have to go to actually be competitive. It's it's outrageous the level of of driving going on in terms of uh, yeah a, a skill. I mean. Yeah, it's 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 so tr- tricky to explain that. Well, well, Matt, I think you and I have been lucky at an amateur level that we've been in carts which we can physically handle, and we've had like some real top drivers in front of us. And you go, "I'm doing the same thing. I'm turning the corner the same," and they're yep. just getting further and further and further away. It's all those little tiny marginal things. They just do that slight bit better, but over the course of a lap, it's a second, a second and a half. It's it's amazing how it adds up, but. I think it's a TV problem with sports in general, and especially because you watch someone driving a car, and you're like, well, I drive a car. I ain't driving a car. I could drive around a <laughs> turn like that. It's just sitting down, isn't it? Yeah. Golf is the same thing. You look at golf on TV, you're like, well, that doesn't look so hard. They just hit the ball, and it goes where they want it to. And then you try to play golf, and you're like, oh, okay, well, yeah. All right. Turns out there was more to it than I thought. Uh, I think it's something that's wrapped up in in driving as well, specifically. Um yeah you know and and i i do i do think that that many many people uh have driving wrapped up in a little in a in a very egotistical bubble that the sort of they they don't acknowledge they they believe that it's something that you should be able to sort of automatically do um and to to dissociate what is driving a race car as a sport you know, you're not competing against the car. You're not competing against the track. You're competing against the others, and they're quite good. <laughs> so, so, at risk, at risk of stating the obvious, they're mm. quite good, and that's the thing that really, that really shocks you if you come to 
uh, high level motorsport without really preparing yourself. Yeah, and like just just the shock of everybody just disappearing off the grid, and then you don't see them for a few laps until they all roar past you. I think would be would be the biggest shock. I, do you know what? One day, one day, I'm, I'm obviously podcasting with one midlife crisis. Um, I, I would love a, a second midlife crisis where you know I enter like a, a local series and and looking around, there are series that you can jump into that aren't like I know I need the kids to to bog off and stop eating food in my house, but there are series where you can go and. And 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 like you said, most of them are spec series where you pay a team to go and jump in a car. I'd be curious to see if I could uh, go and go and have a thrash around. Are you never tempted to be like a Stig and just like white helmet? No one knows who you are, and just go and see see like like the Mighty Ducks going and playing on a playground against a, a street hockey team. It's it's always interesting. I mean, people who race very you know very competently at club level can be extremely mm. good especially if you jump in a car which they know you know a car in a series and you're jumping in they for the track, weekend yeah. there are many many stories i know of of world-class professional racing drivers going to for a bit of a promo to you know mazda mx5 car uh, or similar and getting absolutely <laughs> hammered by mikey mazda who you know who knows his car inside know, out built mikey. it himself yeah. and i've got great respect for those people they're yeah. they're they, they they are they're the true petrol heads and that's why the mighty ducks played that street hockey game alex we've taken up far too much of your time thank you so much for being really generous with, with your knowledge and, and giving us i think an appreciation of of what these guys and girls are going through as they climb that that f1 ladder the road to glory uh, but you mentioned classic cars I, I do have to recommend to everybody to go and check out your classic car videos it always looks so the onboard's brilliant and i know we geeked out on the equipment and cameras for for those onboard shots but the thing that always strikes me is the size of the steering wheels in those classic cars <laughs> it's like you're driving a big dinner plate well they just they just take a tree go around the outside hollow the middle out and shove it on that's that's all they are got to wield the willow but the the joy that you have in driving those classic cars is is obvious and it's great racing to watch and they they look a handful they are a handful Mm. it's great fun um i love the people and the environment of it as well just it's great to be spend a weekend around people who are just truly passionate about motorsport and uh and and race to race some of some dream cars, which is which is absolutely awesome. Well, I'm sure we'll link to all the the show notes uh, below to all of Alex Brundle's videos, YouTube channels, and now because he's still hanging on to youngness and relevancy, a TikTok channel as well. Alex, thanks for your time and have a have a great Christmas and New Year. Thanks, guys. See you later. Uh, we hope that you will join us in the new year as well, where we'll be having a, a predictions show, I believe, with me and Chris. And hopefully we'll get Summers on because I'm jealous of Matt and uh, Matthew Summerfield doing their tech times without me. So I want a bit of Matthew Summerfield time as well. So we'll get that episode out to you, I think, on New Year's Day. And we've got loads of great off-season content lined up. But whenever we see you next, work hard, be kind and have fun. This was Miss Apex Podcast. Feliz Navidad. 
ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.